Join us this October 1st through 3rd for our first annual Fight, Laugh, Feast conference. We are bringing a mix of beer and psalms, fellowship and food, and speakers who have been deplatformed by the evangelical elite and occasionally end up in Facebook jail. Step out of the boring, benign Christian conference circuit and step into the rowdy Christian world of engaging culture while standing firmly on God's word. Most conferences will lull your faith to sleep and teach you how to obey the 11th commandment, but our people, our culture, our country needs the high-octane gospel that applies to every area of our lives. So join us in Nashville as we fight, laugh, and feast together. Sign up now at fightlaughfeast.com, and we look forward to seeing you in Nashville October 1st through 3rd as we build a rowdy Christian culture for God's glory and our good. You know we at war with your gods, y'all. The flesh in the world gotta die. Hey, you guys. Welcome to Cross Politics with Pastor, not Pastor, Campus Preacher, campus preacher. Keith Darrell. Campus Preacher. We got to update that. You, you have me down as the Campus Pastor. Did I? Yeah. I, I'm the I, did, I didn't say Campus Preacher. Yeah. Is, there, is there a Campus Pastor out there? It, it, yours is Campus Pastor. On the, If you go to crosspolitik.com, I'm the Campus Pastor. Right. Well, is there a Campus Preacher out there? I'm the Campus Preacher. But is there a Campus Pastor? No. There I'm sure there's campus pastors. Uh, that's, that's all I'm, I'm saying. Is the handle? Is the handle? I'm talking handles. Yeah, the handles. The handles is campus pastor. We need campus preacher. I get that's it. What I, I get it. Okay. Hey, you guys. Welcome to Cross Politic. Uh, make sure you guys actually share the show right now. We're going to be talking about Romans 13, uh, kind of the the church's response to government overreach, or is it even government overreach in the first place? Um, and and what is a, a good testimony from the church? Is the church having a good testimony and all this? But before we do that, make sure you share the show. Also, join us in October at our first annual Fight, Laugh, Feast conference. Uh, I will be there. And it's going to be great. We've got a real murderer's row lineup. I mean, I'm really, I'm genuinely impressed with with what you guys have lined up. So Yeah, like, man, I'm excited I'm about that. I'm at the that. keynote, which I think is a, is a drawback. A little disappointing. But, but, yeah, uh, <laughs> a little disappointing and a drawback, but, you know, when, when go we had, with what you got. We had a Scott, Scott Sauls on the show. Did you listen to our Scott Sauls show yet? Uh I, I stopped. Um, yeah, okay. I'm, I don't have the patience. You couldn't do it. I, yeah, I don't you have the patience. I, I have a tough time when people just won't throw a punch and like say something substantive. And so when he's thinking – I sound like a jerk. When he's kind of like thinking he's <laughs> being uh, edgy and he was yeah. talking about uh, the woman walking around in her underwear around Jesus because her hair was down and stuff like that, like he just thought he was being really edgy. And I was like, I can't, I can't take anymore. So I did not get to the actual – uh, towards the end of the show that I guess maybe got into a little, yeah, more, yeah. a little more substance. Well, he's from Nashville, and he was disappointed we didn't invite him to speak at the conference. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I was maybe like, well, if, you, if you're going to speak like you answer questions, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you ain't speaking at our conference maybe, then. Maybe a Q&A. Maybe a Q&A. So that's funny. That's funny. So, uh, yeah, we're really excited about that. A lot of people actually in the last week have, have asked me about the conference, and uh, Nashville's open. Nashville's open for business. It's a conservative state. It's not going to be doing what it did again. Um, the, the event center that we're actually having the conference at is having its first big event in July. So there's going to be a number of events already going on even before we get to October. So um, rest assured, I mean, tickets are cheap right now. Get registered. Get there. Come and go. And the, the one thing, though, that Nashville, like Austin, uh, it's starting to be a magnet for blue people it to is. go into those places. It and is. it's starting to change the dynamics. And so they go to New York City. They go to Los Angeles to go to San Francisco. Uh, make that place crazy and yep. they flee for their lives. We've seen that in Idaho as well. So yeah. Driving up my, uh, I want to get a house here, but they're driving up the prices of the housing. So, uh, steep, stop, it's, coming, it's to, the stop coming to the red It's states. the dinks that are doing that. Dual income, no kids. Dinks. Ah, uh, dinks. Yeah. yeah. I'm a, what am I, a sink? Single income? You're no a sink. Kids. <laughs> single, single income, no kids. My buddy was part of this, uh, uh, project. It was kind of a social media website for dinks. 
It was called Dink Life. <laughs> and I'm serious. There was, it, there was a market. I, yeah, there, there was a market. There was a market. They did it. There. They did so, it. Yeah, that's funny. All right. So uh, we're going to talk Romans 13, church testimony, um, what's going on in this whole panic. Um, and I, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this with you is part of it is you, you travel the nation. You're all over the map. All it, over the map it, and shut down. Like the... Yeah, it's, like, it's it's bad right now. Yeah, your your ability to to minister is yeah, based yeah. off based off because you you travel and go speak at college campuses. Yeah, so I'm usually so in March I guess it was like the 15th. I actually showed up to UCLA to preach, and it's just like where is everybody? You know what I mean? Like it really was really? the night before they announced that they're moving to online classes, and so I felt like I was almost more on, in summer school, like walking on wow. the campus. It was it was a, not really a ghost town, but almost a ghost town. You yeah. just tell something was different. I actually I, in my head I was like, did a, a terrorist attack happen? Everyone's home. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was kind of yeah. my thinking, just the way the the campus kind of sparse. But then I pulled up my phone, like because I was like, are they on like a vacation so i yeah. punched it in i thought they may be on they're on spring break punched in and it showed that uh, they went to online classes and over the next 24 hours across a nation almost all schools went online so wow. I was like, all right, i'll take a week off get back out because they were saying basically two weeks everything was two weeks at the beginning yeah. and then they'll come back and uh, they never never came back and mm. even some uc the the cal state and uc system have already canceled fall classes in person wow um, and michigan's going to make that decision they said whatever they do in the fall they're going to go do through the spring so yeah i get to see kind of you know it's kind of funny. My, my little life has been upended. Uh, everybody's life has been upended. But as far mm-hmm. as somebody who travels, preaches on public campuses and gathers crowds, yeah. I'm like, and, and talks a lot. Right. I, I, I'm like a veritable virus traveling. You're a different kind of virus. I, I'm, I'm expecting wherever I go for like, the, you know how they have yep. those heat maps where uh-huh. they show where like the virus is breaking out. I'm expecting that to be me. As I travel around, there's going to be little uh, red dots everywhere yep. I travel, uh, spreading the virus. So that's what we got. <laughs> you didn't want to be part of the outbreak, did you? No. So the uh, here, I want to start here um, in California. You know, Governor Kami Newsom, he's been pretty ridiculous. Uh, Jay Inslee, incompetent Inslee. Yeah, and I'm, know, not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but my, I have some friends who believe that like we're ruled by lizard kings. And <laughs> whenever, whenever those two chime in, I'm like, it's a possible. It's not, it's not I'm, 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 I'm not going to rule yeah. it out. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to rule it out. All right, so I want to start here. Um, uh, there's a couple. Uh, I read this article this morning from I believe it's the American uh, Economic Institute, um, A E A I E R whatever um, A E I R. <laughs> And um, no, actually, it wasn't even that. It was a is a letter to the editor in Wenatchee, Washington, and just going through all the incompetent decisions that Inslee had made. And one of the things that had happened is they accidentally um, sent it's they're calling it an accident a a about a hundred million dollars to Nigeria during this whole during this whole panic. the state of Washington. The state of Washington did. For, is there any re- rationale, like any reason why? I'm sure there's some Fight previous AIDS. history there of why they maybe support or fund Nigeria oh, or whatever. That's wild. It is wild. And, uh, All these people on unemployment, and they're sending uh, you know unemployment you, dollars to Nigeria. And, and usually when I think of foreign aid, I don't think of states doing it, but no. the federal government doing it. So yeah. whatever, yeah, well, the, the states do it to get in bed with all the foreign nations. Uh-huh. So um, and especially a state like Washington who has all this international connection. So I'm not surprised they're 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 doing oh, that. But anyways, uh and in uh California, President Trump last week said churches open up. Yep. And then and then California, his governor said no, not in our state. Uh but before California's governor said no, 
Trump had said yes, mm-hmm. and John MacArthur's church was going to have church on Sunday. They're yeah, like, that's I saw it. they're like, yep, we're going to have it. Trump gave us a go-ahead. And then, and then Governor Newsom was like, no, no, no. Uh-huh. And so John MacArthur said, all right, we aren't, we're going back okay. to online. And, and if I understand, did it get – did the Ninth Circuit say that the, the Yes, the, the Ninth Circuit. Okay, which is always a crazy circuit. It's a crazy circuit. They had two Democrat appointee judges and one Republican judge, and the one Republican judge voted to open up churches, the other two. And, and their basis for – they basically suspended – the judges basically saying, hey, we suspend the Constitution. Okay, so uh, John MacArthur's church kind of goes back and forth on this. On this, you know, should we have church? Should we not? Romans thirteen, President Trump, he's the higher authority, mm-hmm. and then the governor Newsom, uh, Newsom, and his Supreme Court said no. Um, Phil Johnson tweets out, kind of in this whole situation, people are kind of like, hey, why, you know, why are you following governor's authority, not Trump's authority, all this stuff? Um, and Phil Johnson said, it's appalling how many people who profess to believe scriptures echo the sentiment expressed in this man's second sentence. Uh, so First Peter uh, 2.13 was written to people suffering unjustly. Nero was emperor when Paul wrote Romans 13, 1 through 7. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, first, first, how do you handle Romans 13 when it was written under a... a uh, Despotic yeah, ruler. That's right. Uh, yeah, I, well, I, th- I think there are several things. Uh, first of all, uh, I think you have two things. You have... Keep in mind, Christianity was kind of intertwined with Judaism at that point. Yeah. And Jews with the Roman Empire, if you're a zealot, uh, what do they They want war. They want conflict right. with the Roman Empire. And I think uh, what Paul is telling the Christians in that context is we're not like the zealots. Right. We are not revolutionaries. We are not in that category. And I think if you're rooted in the Old Testament, even the wicked nations, when they would judge Israel, uh, there was an appropriate place being angry and uh, upset over their demolition of them, but they would always recognize it as being in sin. So I think Paul's just kind of following Old Testament idea that the rulers, be it Samuel or uh, rather Saul going down to David, that what what you have here is any ruler has been instituted by God. And so we as Christians, how are we interacting with it? I think that's what's going on. And and there are some people who want to debate that early on in Nero's reign that he was a a decent ruler until he had his mom killed like in 59. I think Paul was writing um, mm-hmm. Romans in 56. And so some people want to cl- kind of claim that Paul was, uh, or that Nero at this point was still being a just governor. I still don't think that would change the context. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so we still have this thing. It's kind of like, uh, you know, what do we do with submission to evil authorities? Mm-hmm. We have that debate, male, female. We have that debate here with uh, governing mm-hmm. magistrates. So um, I, I think the challenge in our context is who who is the who's the ruler? Right. You know what I mean, is it the Constitution? Is it the Ninth Circuit judge? Is it Newsom? Who? Yeah, and I, and right, I think that's right. where I think that's where the, the Christian conflict lies, and why Phil Johnson can have a radically different take than I do, or you right. can have a different take than I do, because we're all looking at we, we're not settled on who the authority is here, right? And and I and as long as who, that who is, do you think the authority is? Yeah, here? and uh, so if we if you roll out the by what standard here, um, who, who is the governing ruler that you're going to submit to? And I right. think that's kind of I think that's kind of what the debate's going to be had, even within Christians, right? Um, right now, because obviously Phil Johnson thinks that Newsom and the Ninth Circuit is the standard uh, opposed mm-hmm. to, say, Donald Trump. Right, right. I think um, in a constitutional republic, the Constitution is the highest authority in the land. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a king. The king is the paper. Mm-hmm. The king's the document. And so we, um, when, it's, when it's funny, we're talking about submit to Governor Newsom or submit to Donald Trump or submit to the Supreme Court in California. Mm-hmm. It's actually the Constitution is what what yeah. is king. Yeah, and, and I guess that's... Where we have to waver back and forth, because even even like in the Constitution, like what is all of its authority in this current context? So if you take the Tenth Amendment and things are punted back to the state, 
Um, you know, so the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law. And so yep. historically, I don't want Congress telling the state of Washington what religion they can or cannot have. Um, I benefit from, say, the fourth, I think it's the 14th Amendment, where, uh, you know, they, they basically began to impose um, more federal authority over the states. But, but that would even be part of, uh, I think, where the Christian uh, waivers is because is you end up actually having to deal with the practical outcome of who's imposing this law on us. And right. so if we're going to be in rebellion to Newsom, or Cuomo or Inslee, and then from there, how do we how do we live it out? And I think, and I, I, I'm, you know, and then we also have to consider kind of the missional aspect of the church in in the city and town and neighborhood that you're in. Like, are, are, what do you what what chaos are you going to cause by doing what you do? So we need wisdom, uh, which I don't think we often have, and it's, yeah. I think it's kind of hard to draw up exactly what it is we're doing. It seems it seems like we haven't really exercised these muscles and how to think as a church. Yeah. In relationship to government and so forth. Yeah, because we like as Americans, we've kind of had the benefit of not wrestling with these questions. And That's now, true, and now, right? And now suddenly we're like, oh, what are we doing? That's why we have a bajillion different answers and mm-hmm. everybody going in different ways because we're not wrestling with the question. And actually, when we were talking about doing a show today, I messaged a friend of mine who uh, was in China doing ministry, and it's just fascinating because, like, I mean, there's a very clear who's an authority, so to speak, and how they go about living their lives and everything else. And what maybe think about contacting him is because. A f- another friend was talking about a Chinese Christian sharing, oh, the, the, the Christians over in China, they're out in the streets and they're going to the hospitals. And like, but if we're out in the streets and going to hospitals, everyone here hates us. You know what I mean? Right. They think it's this great testimony in China. But here, if I'm going to the hospitals to share the gospel with people, people are like, You're, what, what are you doing? So I, we have to figure it out here in our context. And yeah, we haven't exercised any muscles. Um, I, don't, I think we're kind of, I hate the word unprecedented. Uh, for us, the American church at this current time, it is kind of new territory. Yeah. And we're already a divided church uh, long before this happened. And, and so I think it just kind of right. feels more fractured that's there. So um, Romans 13, written under a despotic regimen. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> worse than ours. Yeah, worse <laughs> than ours. Way, either way, easily worse, worse than ours. Um, and, it, you know, it struck me, I was reading this this morning when we were going to talk about this, is, is all the, the the several references to that the rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil, um, for the rulers are a minister for good, um, and so it's it's really seems to be specifically talking about hey rulers are um, supposed to you know judge the evildoers. Uh, bring justice to the evildoers and not those who are doing good. Yeah, and and especially if you roll back to chapter 12 where Paul's like, you know, bless those who persecute you, uh, do not curse them, rejoice, etc., etc. Um, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Then he goes on to explain that that's the civil magistrate's duty. So right. why, like, like you know, if I get punched on campus, I've been punched on campus, I should not be fighting back. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Uh, right. I'm being, being persecuted in the context of Christianity. Right. I should not be, you know, Going on the offensive, and but I right. but when the state's there, I should have no qualms with the police officer going over, stopping that guy, and arresting him. Right. And so, starting in Romans twelve, I do think that Paul is turning. We don't take vengeance; leave room for God's vengeance. And so, when the state's doing its job faithfully, that yeah. really is just as when we're administering word and sacrament in church, they are ministers of God executing His wrath on evildoers. And I don't think we normally think of that. So, right. when a person's being executed justly by the state. We should thank God that his yeah. wrath is being poured out justly. Right. And so we, as Christians, as evangelicals particularly, we don't have a, usually don't have a sense that God mediates his work in time and space. Right. We right. might think of it with the preaching of the gospel, but we don't think of God mediating his wrath on people uh, through the civil magistrates. And I think that's what Paul's telling us that he's doing. That's consistent going all the way back to Cyrus in the Old Testament. Right. I think it's Isaiah 45 where he's basically talking about the, the Assyrians being a— uh, a club in his hand or something like right. that. So. Right, right. And it seems like in Romans 13 is not really talking about what happens. It's not answering the question, what happens if your government is is punishing those who are doing good? Mm-hmm. It's only really going after 
a, the the role of the government is this. And yeah, it's, and it's not our outlining, hey, if your government's not doing this, how do you respond? Yeah, and I was going to say, I think that's uh, part of the difficulty because a lot of – you think you – know, uh, and thinking about this passage, you can't help but think of the male-female relationship it, 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 uh, or the in the family. Um, what you end up having – and that's why you have so much diversity uh, in the application because it lays out in broad principle, here's, here's what's going on, mm-hmm. but it's always in the application that becomes difficult. Yeah. And so we agree, like, vengeance is not ours. We rely upon the state to do it. But what do we do once the state is being wicked? Right. And if, as they're laying out here, uh, and, and in 1 Peter as well, which uh, uh, Phil Johnson points to, mm-hmm. if they are being wicked, uh, they're still submitting. They're not promoting revolutionary ideas. Right. And, and so as Christians, ultimately, we're not revolutionaries. Um, and so, yeah, what does submission look like? To be honest with you, I, I'm not really sure at yeah. times. Yeah, I debate yeah. it. So, so um, you're tying in. Husband and wife. Why, why did you tie in Ephesians? Basically, Ephesians five. Yeah, be, why are you tying Ephesians five into Romans thirteen? Uh, because we, because as Christians, we trust that there are, are authorities outside outside of I as an individual, uh-huh. uh, be it pastors, uh, be it uh, civil magistrates yeah. in the household, be it the husbands. And so, as we talk about often, maybe sphere of sovereignty. You have heads, and you have authorities in those spheres. And so, we often talk about submission. And so. Um, to those who are in authority. And so just as a husband, you know, we often have a debate over husband-wife. Yep. What does submission what, look what like? What does that relationship look like? When in, the husband's in abusive yep. and he's uh-huh. wicked and blah, blah, right. blah. What does that look like, submission look like? And so now that we have a civil magistrate here that we have to be in submission to, what does it look like once they're wicked? Um, mm. and, and how do these mm. how do these things correspond? That's helpful. Yeah. And so since, since as, you know, as evangelicals or as Protestants, whatever, we, as we're working through this issue, um, what we want to maintain is we don't want to, the deconstruction of the state, you know what right. I mean? As people want to deconstruct patriarchy or the husband, uh, they, they just want to nullify that in total because they don't like the idea of submission or a husband's been abusive. So we don't want to fall in the end where we just deconstruct the state and we become revolutionaries and anarchists right. and stuff like that. Right. So so that, that that's the thinking in my head when I come to this passage because historically any discussion on male, female, and headship sort of stuff, in, in my head it's worked out where I submit to the civil magistrates. But now that they're wicked mm-hmm. uh, and they're overstepping their bounds, what do we do in this situation? So I was um, uh, helping coordinate a Liberate Idaho um, pro uh, rally down in Boise about a month ago. I, I like that it was Liberate. We have some foreign invaders in the land, and we're going yeah, yeah, yeah. to liberate, liberate the whole thing. Liberate Idaho. I like yeah, yeah. it. Liberate, liberate was, the whole thing. It was pretty funny. And I... Um, uh, <clears throat> I uh, emailed some pastors down there saying, hey, join us at this Liberate Idaho protest uh, rally. I wanted it to be a rally. I didn't want it to be a negative thing. <laughs> uh, let me let me get this correct here. And, um, you know, and, and I, I try to couch the, the rally as, you know, hey, we want this to be a blessing to our rulers. We don't want this to be a, uh, you know, no... no cussing, no screaming, no, you know, no anger. We want this to be a positive, joyful um, rally. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the one of the pastors I emailed, I said, "Hey, you know, invite your congregation." To this and, that. and his response to me was, "This is a bad testimony." Romans thirteen, basically, <laughs> you're you are representing the church, and it's a bad testimony, bad gospel testimony. Romans thirteen, and we went back and forth and um, uh, in it all, but it, it kind of it just struck me how quick he was to throw in Romans thirteen there, and how quick he was to say, "This is a bad testimony." Yeah, and. It, in of itself, that doesn't. I, I think that's an irrational conclusion. Like you, th- like, and I guess it becomes where do we draw this line? Because I, I, the idea that if and we'll grant for a sense that the in this instance that the state is overstepping its bounds, I actually think it's a good witness and a good ministry to say, look, the state is overstepping its bounds. Yeah. Just as I would say, it's a good ministry if you go to a culture where the husbands beat their wives, yep. and you go and, and you step foot in that culture and you say, hey, what you're doing is overstepping your bounds. Yep. 
that's a good ministry. Right. Yeah, I mean, short term, you might have a bunch of angry men at you, yeah. uh, but long term, in my head, the most fruitful ministry to have is to stand up for that which is righteous and good. Right. And so, so that's where you know I, I don't know this gentleman down in Boise, but if we're having a debate over what is righteous and good, and we can debate those sorts of things, but I think that's where even like this and the norm comes in. That is the state overstepping its bounds, and I think it is. So, given that, I actually think it's short term. It may not be a great ministry. It may it may look counterproductive, uh-huh. but long term, I actually think no, we're sta- we're on the right side. And mm-hmm. so, given that, I think it's a I think it's a good idea to do that. Well, and how many times did Jesus um, step in and do something? You know, how many times did Jesus calculate the scenario and like, oh, this is not a good place for me. You know, I'm going to go into the temple and I'm going to throw everything out. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and that's also where when he was, because you realize even, even us, uh, you're often set on a false binary. So when the, when even like the Pharisees came to him, like, Hey, should we give the coin to Caesar? And he's like, uh, let me see what, you know, give me a coin. They have a coin. Why do you, if you guys are really concerned about paying tax to Caesar, why do you have a Caesar's coin with you? And then, uh, you know, render to Caesar, the things that are Caesar yep. and God's the things that are God's. And so right. even people want to catch us in dilemmas and put us on the horn of dilemma. And so Jesus had wisdom in dealing with those situations as well as other situations where he is going into the temple and cleaning the place up. And so we as a people, I think there's not, there's also also like a, I think a basic sense where the church in America does not fear God. That was one of the things that um, there's actually the translation I was looking at. I think it was verse four. It talks about um, obey the civil magistrates out of fear of the Lord and for yep. a clear conscience. Yep. And even just think about that in general, we would never think of fearing the Lord. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's usually the place that we think of, like, where do we have to begin here? Obey your magistrates because you fear the Lord. Because you fear the Lord. Yeah. And one, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think part of the reason that's so difficult for the American church right now, there's, there's zero wisdom in the land. There's no fear. Wow. Of, no, no, yeah. fear no fear yeah. of the Lord in the land. And so when that's the case, and I just think of, you know, the last 15 years being in the church, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on the fear of the Lord. That's, um, that's and, really good. And yeah. so, so given that, since we don't really fear Yahweh, we don't know how that works out. We don't know how to work out here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so, you know, sound like a liberal, the systemic problem. You just realize there's a giant systemic problem, and, and it goes back to our theology, who God is. And that's one of the things I like about you guys and the work you're doing with uh, with regards to laying out more clearly the spheres of what the civil right. magistrate has, what the church has, what the family has. Right. And, because that's so far off of the average evangelical's mind, they don't know how to right. think through those things, and then it kind of becomes a, a you know not to sell out MacArthur and Johnson, but a form of fundamentalism. Like just it's just like oh, it just says submit, right? You know, it's just just, just wooden, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just kind of a wooden submission, yeah. And, uh, and but that's their approach to the text. So, um, no offense to you, dispensationalists out there, <laughs> we're watching. We're, yeah, we're, we love yeah, you. We love you. Yeah. We love you. And, so you know, Paul writes what Romans thirteen, Peter writes First Peter. Um, and they get thrown in jail, and they escape prison, and they get you know they're they're constantly. Um, all wrapped up with authorities and and running from them or getting caught by them or you know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, imagine if if you take this passage so woodenly and, and then you preach on it and you're Paul and you're preaching on it and you're getting thrown in jail. I mean, you have no ethos, you have no authority uh-huh. to preach on it if you're taking this passage, let's say the way John MacArthur's crowd would do it. Yeah, and and, and you also got to ask it, and and like when you're not a sacramental church. You know what I mean? The same way, you know what I mean? There's a lot of issues that end up getting tied here. But yeah, like how long do we let them say we can't gather? And then from there, you, you, the practical application, especially in the way that people throw out, it's not because we're Christians, it's applying to everybody. Um, but like how long do we allow the state to tell us that we can't free, freely assemble? I, I think that becomes, it actually becomes a pretty major issue because even in China, talk to my friend in China, they're allowed to be Christians yeah. in China, yep. just be quiet and keep it in your house. Yep. And so we're allowed, you know, we're not there. I'm not, I don't want to draw a one-on-one, but how much do we let the state dictate? Oh yeah. You're free to have your religious beliefs. Just keep it in your home. And, and I do think that's a long-term 
application of even just kind of the greater good ethic that people are kind of rolling out and everything else. So I think we're in a little bit of a little bit of a pickle. But as you're as you're talking about Paul's work yep, here, yep. Uh, and he it made me think of Hebrews chapter eleven and what people did by faith. And he says, uh, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to talk of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, yeah. enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to be, uh, uh, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might uh, again lead to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two and they were killed by the sword. So by faith, some escaped the sword, uh, some were killed by the sword. And, this is, you know, we, we are in a, uh, a ubiquitous, um, but I, I don't want to use the term totalitarian state because it's too strong, but right. we are in a, in a state that's overstepped stuff. So what do we, how do we as faith kind of, in a sense, conquer the American empire at this point? Um, I think it's, you know, we return to the basics, uh, church. We, got, we gather as a church. No, right. we're still going right. to gather. Amen. Um, yeah. And we're going to administer word and sacrament because we need those things to grow in grace and knowledge and believe God. And I think ultimately we can overturn these wicked rulers by by the simplicity of those things, and we don't need revolution. Well, it seems like the church uh, – I mean, so I really like your point about fearing God. The, the church doesn't fear God, so therefore our rulers run ransack all over us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really good. Uh, but it also seems like the other the other issue here is that the church has not – taught well or has not discipled its people well on how to think about the proper authority, the proper place of the church, the proper place in the government, the, the relationship mm-hmm. between the government and the church and all that because it's like the government – in Romans 13, it's it's very clear that no authority is absolute. Yeah. Right? And and the, the, and kind of – I would totally agree that the discipleship is totally wanting – because you think about what, what is our evangelism? It's not that really that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's it's you want and and I, I you know we preach hell, but you want to escape hell. That's mm-hmm. kind of then from there invite Jesus into your heart, and then it just kind of becomes between your conversion and death is just you just kind of hold on until the until the rapture, or yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah. So so and that's where I think all of our theology ends up becoming vital. Is do we have a view of creation, fall, redemption that's uh-huh. intertwined, and so. I think the Reformed Church, part of the reason I'm Reformed, is I think the Reformers give us the best hope in understanding the creation, fall, redemption, yeah. our, our current yeah. realities in this world. And it's not an escapist sort of thing. We just kind of hold on. We have a bare morality until the resurrection. But as we disciple the nations and we disciple people in our church, that includes giving them an understanding of the civil magistrates, giving them an understanding of the family, right. uh, and working through all those things. And and we're failing as uh, disciples. Even Even yesterday, actually, there was a tweet and I responded, it's a good chance to disciple because someone was being baptized, two people were being baptized in a church, but they still live together. And the person was upset that these two people were being baptized. And it's very possible that they're converted. You know yeah, I mean? right, so you go to First right. Corinthians and you have people visiting temple prostitutes. I'm willing to think that two Americans sleeping together can still be converted. Right. But what they need is discipleship at that point. And what I've found in general, and as an open-air preacher, I get tons of heat from evangelicals who've never been discipled. Right who's never been told stop doing that by a pastor. Right. You know what I mean? And most pastors nowadays think that the way to get there, even like fear, you don't talk about fear. You don't talk about judgment. You don't talk about those things. You just kind of, you just somehow by hanging out, they're going to get it by osmosis rather right. than an intentional, deliberate discipleship. And so I think we're, we're failing miserably in discipling uh, young men uh, who in turn are not discipling their families and people down the road. Right, so. right. Um, how can, I, I, I guess one of the, one of the things that, that strikes me in all this is how we we assume the church just assumes that Gavin Newsom is absolute. You know now now they would I think 
I think I still think there's a threshold there. If they walked in and started killing everybody, I think you know, I think the church would um, encourage certain responses. Mm-hmm. Um, but but with most that everything goes on in our current culture and society, they assume that the governor's absolute or the president's absolute or or, or you know, I mean, help you know why why do we have that assumption? When the text is very clear, it, it says no authority is absolute. They all exist and are appointed by God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, because, it, yeah, we have not thought through, even, even if you think of any authority that somebody has, we, yeah, we do not think through that all authorities are derived authorities. Um, so any authority that Newsom has is a derived authority. And even as even even as as we sit here, anything that Newsom's doing today is determined by God. Right. Um, yeah. So so we even anything he's doing that's despotic that we disagree with is all right, that's determined by God. Um, and so what we need as Christians, even like one of the things that's kind of funny when I'm on campus, people don't know what to make of it. Because I, I, I say all of your allegiances are relative mm-hmm. except for your allegiance to God. Mm-hmm. And so even a husband-wife allegiance to one another is relative compared to your allegiance with God. A right. son allegiance to his father is right. relative. And that's why Jesus can come along and say, unless you hate your father, mother, sister, brother, I don't think he's literally telling you to hate anybody. Right. What's your allegiance? Right. And if your allegiance is to your nation or your people or your family over God, um, you don't understand the gospel uh, or you don't understand... Christ's lordship. And so uh, the reason we end up placing these earthly authorities is simply, I would say, the average evangelical, and I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush, yeah. because they have not thought through God's authority. And you think, even just think of the divide that people have in their head between the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, God was concerned with politics. He was concerned with nations. He was yeah. concerned with... The, He's Jesus, a little angry. Little, yeah, get, angry, he'd flare easy. up. Yeah. Jesus came along. It's now all spiritual. Yeah. And, and so we're basically almost all Gnostics. You know what I mean? Yeah. This world doesn't matter. Yeah. Newsom's authority doesn't matter. Whatever's wow. going on out yeah. here doesn't really matter That's as long as our yeah. hearts are okay yeah. and we're going to be soaring to heaven at the end. Right. That's that's the average view of salvation. Whereas if you're a Jew, think of being a Jew with Daniel chapter 2 saying when the kingdom of God comes, it's going to smash the Roman Empire. So if you follow Daniel's kingdoms down, I think it leads to the Roman Empire. And he is basically saying that this stone's going to come and smash the Roman Empire. Um, so the Messiah, and that's why even evangelicals say, oh, well, they misunderstand the Messiah. They, they were expecting a, a worldly king, and they got Jesus instead. Now, that's partially true. The question becomes, how do we conquer the Roman Empire? How do we conquer the American Empire? We do conquer it through the gospel, laying down our lives for our enemies. And so, but I think that's where the divide is, is we have a tendency to think the kingdom of God is kind of on a cloud in a sky yep. somewhere. Yep. It is not this. <laughs> it's right. not It's not us uh, doing a radio program or a show and yeah, discipling right. people, then us going out in a business and getting a cup of coffee and talking about things and digging. and all that. So The kingdom of right. God is this other realm, and that, that's where we yeah. fall. Yeah, yeah, it's spiritual. Right. And uh, whereas I, I, if we're thoroughly creationists, not just to be against Chuck Darwin, but to understand what it means to be human, <laughs> uh, then, uh, like then when we're uh, in the Old Testament, we're Jews. Our religion is fundamentally Jewish. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this whole concept that Christianity is this radical Thing other than Judaism right. is, and, and so if you're rooted in the Old Testament, you can understand that God cares about nations and rules and laws and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Whereas I think we have a tendency to punt because we don't think God's real. That's that's gritty, earthly, the flesh. Right. You know what I mean? What really matters is spirit. You know, it strikes me how this is actually really connected to our understanding of the Ten Commandments. You know, um, love God, love your neighbor, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God, and the second six, the latter half of the commandments have to do with our relationship with one another. Um, but if we don't fear God, first first four commandments, then we're going to get a a a, a reckless government. Uh, if we don't understand what honor, the fifth commandment, if we don't understand what true honor looks like, and what you honor, how you honor it, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, we we don't honor sin, we don't honor um, a 
a dad who beats his kids, right? You know, it's like mm-hmm. we have um, – when we understand honor correctly, it actually sets us up better to be able to know how to respond to a government um, rightly with, with what you were talking about, the legions and all that stuff. Yeah, and, and, and even as you laid out there, because we were, we're so confused on uh, the, the first half of the commandments and as we become more secular, we're going to get more statism. And because you just think of – even just think of the tying into the fear of the Lord – the, the thing that stood out initially in this whole thing was how everybody's afraid of death. Everybody was just, ter- oh yeah, my goodness. And, right. and the states appeal to this unknown future. Uh-huh. We're all going to die. You're going to yeah. have two, 200,000. We could have 2 million people dead in the next six weeks, whatever it was, if we don't all stay home, if we don't do this. Yeah. And, and you realize there, like, immediately everybody's willing to fear this, but they don't fear God. And yeah. so that fear aspect, and I guess it kind of ties in with like kind of a, our outlook is you're always going to fear something. Right. The question is, are you going to fear Gavin Newsom and this disease yeah, right. or this virus, or are you going to fear Yahweh? Yeah. And from there, not that yeah. you don't have wisdom. And yeah. what's interesting, you even bring up the Ten Commandments, is uh, Paul in Romans 13 ends up uh, feeling out, uh, oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments right. say you shall not commit adultery, etc. Right. And so uh, all the, and that's part of the beauty of the Scriptures. All these things are intertwined from the... Uh, pacifism that Paul's addressing in Romans 12, uh, duty of the civil magistrates to the commandments and at the end of Romans 13. All this stuff is intertwined, and that's the beauty of the scriptures is it is all one yeah. intertwined narrative. You don't have a hard break between what's going on in the old and the new, and it's, it's the new is the fulfillment of that. We live that right. out. How, do, how can you say the church is not fearing God? Um, right, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty big claim, you know? I uh, mean, I, there's, I mean, there's what, 40 million Christians here in the U.S., mm-hmm. and we're saying... Uh, the 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 root of the problem here is we don't fear God. Yeah, uh, all you have to do if you it, all you have to do is an, go into any room with evangelicals and just say fear the Lord, uh-huh. fear God. Well, 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 no, 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 it's love, it's love. And, and so the, the way I know that is when I'm preaching on campus. And to be honest, it's not like I'm sitting out there saying fear God, fear God, fear God. One of the ways I know it in Proverbs, I can't remember the exact proverb. It says uh, the fear of the Lord is to hate sin or to uh-huh. hate evil. Yep. And if you bring up sin, even the immediate response of everybody just saying, but we're all sinners. You know, yeah, whereas like, right. if you love your wife and you're committing adultery on her, your response is, honey, we're all sinners. You know what I mean? There, no husband's perfect. And so, yeah. uh, so, so the way that we, the minute fear of the Lord comes up, the response, the, the, everybody gets uneasy in evangelical circles. And then secondly, the way they talk about sin, those two things indicate that there's no fear of God before their eyes. Wow. So that, that would be the, that'd be the main indication. Then from there, uh, also intertwined is you get a little more in reform circles and others. Is basically the concept of the holiness of God is completely. Uh, I mean, I've been I've been going to church for twenty five years now. I've never heard a series on hell. I've never heard a series on the fear of the Lord. Um, maybe holiness has been brushed on, yeah. uh, but for the most part, those things are kind of uh, you know twenty five years of sermons. Uh, and I, I shouldn't say never. Uh, I've heard these things mentioned, but very rarely. Um, have I heard emphasized them? Emphasized, you know, yeah, emphasized or, or expounded yeah, yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. Right. So th- those that, those would be the key indicators. But the fir- first two are all you got to do is mention it in a room, and you can feel everybody get uneasy. Then, secondly, the way evangelicals talk about sin, right. you, you realize it's a shrug of the shoulders. So, uh, I mean, how do you how do you communicate that? How do you wake up pastors or sheep about the, our root problem is not fearing God? I mean, we can say it, you know, but I, I it, it blows my mind. I, I was talking to we're. Um, uh, we have a great uh, series in our club portal called Pastors and Politics, and it's a, a episode that we've been working on over the last year. We hopefully will have more coming out this year, this coming year. Um, but we sat down with Pastor Doug and Dan Fisher from Oklahoma, and I was I asked Doug. I think I asked Doug and Dan the question. 
I said, man, we got, we got 40 million Christians. We got, you know, you go back to Texas and there's a church on every corner. It's like Starbucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's incredible. You go to the South and I mean, there's churches everywhere. And I I was like, how come, you know, 40 million Christians and there's about 3 million LGBT community, you know, around, Uh around that's, and that might even be a little high. Yeah. And yet they're getting our Burgerfell passed. You know, they're getting all the legislation through. They're getting transgendered surgeries being paid for by the government. You know, mm-hmm. you go down the list, they're having this huge impact on our culture. And yet 40 million Christians, that's a, uh, it takes 60 million votes to get a president. Mm-hmm. And we're a two thirds of that <laughs> voting block. Uh-huh. And we can't get a darn thing passed. Mm-hmm. And, and Doug, I asked Doug, I was like, how come the church has no impact on our culture anymore? And he said, it's, um, and Doug, Doug said, he's, it's, it's like a bunch of campfires. Um, uh, all around, all around the the U.S. and and there's no fire in them. Mm-hmm. So you you have all these logs set up, and there's there's no Holy Spirit, there's no fire mm-hmm. in them. And I should ask Doug a, a kind of a push him on that a little bit. So you're saying these 40 million aren't Christians? You yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, well, I do think there's there's a general deadness. I do think even kind of tied in my illustration earlier with the the, the couple still living together. I, th- I think a lot of these people are Christians. The thing is, and I I've run everything through campus preaching. When I'm on campus, I'm amazed at how many young men, particularly. I always get my, I always say my biggest critic on campus is white Christian women. Uh, but young men come to me all the time, being like, "I never hear any of this stuff. What do I do? You know what wow. I mean? Like, where where do I go to get this? Like, wow. be, and, and because and the beauty was a few years ago, it was always the new atheists had bring up the Bible difficulties, God yep. wiping out Canaanites, the flood. Yep. No evangelical wants to touch those topics. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new atheists. So here I am in a public format. New atheists bring these things up, and I have to expound the justice of God, the wisdom of God, the righteousness of His requirements, and stuff like that. And young men, particularly, are like, we never hear this. And so, what do we? Yeah. So what do we do? Um, I think. It, I think it was maybe James Jordan talked about how uh, there is elements to a top-down change that can occur. And I do think fundamentally it begins with pastors who uh, are no longer become sociologists. There's obviously a way that we have to talk to people and communicate in our context. But I don't think the average preacher, when he steps up in the morning, and I even think of the times I enter someone else's pulpit. If I'm preaching, it's not my church. I'm in someone else's pulpit. Uh-huh. And I probably am a little more restrained because yeah. I'm like, man, I, I don't want to start a fire here that's like yeah. that he has to put out or right. something like that. And so I'm a little hesitant on some of the things you want to say and some of the things you want to do. But I think that's uh, – if. You know, if I'm self conscious of it, I'm assuming that many other pastors are afraid of that. If I go in here and I preach this, what's what's the fallout going to be? Yep. And so from there, it's just yeah. The, the the main problem is is what's being preached in the pulpit. And then I, I also think the other thing is is fundamentally worship. Worship's entertainment. Uh, even like this morning, I saw again where another guy apostatized some Christian group. And so <laughs> yeah. so if uh, and so I, I think oftentimes the worship's entertainment. Whereas if you're singing the Psalms. Uh, that just shapes you differently. And if you're yeah. singing yeah. those lyrics, you can't sing Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 and then just walk out and you know think that salvation is just about your soul feeling good. You know what right. I mean? Um, right. And so if you're going through the Psalms in worship, um, it's gonna that's going to inherently disciple more people because those lyrics are going to be in their head. So if yeah. you're a pastor, yeah. I would say expound the word, sing the Psalms. Those are the two main things that help shape yeah. shape the Christians going forward and fear and holiness and that sort of stuff will, will soon follow. So what, what's the, what's the, the, you got the message for the pastor. What's the message for the sheep who are discouraged, frustrated? You know, I say frustrated. Yeah. I don't say frustrated. <laughs> I, I, I think it's the dumbest way to, you know, <laughs> I would I say, say frustrated. Um, and so when these guys come to me, I just say, go back to your pastor and, and ask some questions about it. I was actually talking to a young man the other day who's pastoring a church or assistant pastor, and he's kind of frustrated being there. And, I, and he's like at a church of about 400 people. I was like, try to find 10 young men. You know what I mean? And, yeah. if, and so if you're a young man, and if you're in a church of 400 people, 
you just one obviously pray about it. When I was living in New York, I was having the toughest time for fellowship, and I was praying about it. And the Lord finally gave me one man, then a couple others. And we'd have these prayers and stuff like that. So if you're in a church, say 400 people, there, there's gonna be eight or nine guys that are pining for it. And what you'll find is once you start to pursue it and do it, you'll begin to draw in other people who yep. are drawn to it. So, um, so if you're a young man in a church. Go talk to your pastor. Just say, "Hey, look, you know, ask him about singing the psalms. Don't be contentious. Don't be divisive, uh, but but ask questions about these things. Here's what the scriptures teach. Why don't we talk about this stuff? And put it on his radar that you're hungry for those things. And then seek out other young men in the congregation that are pursuing those things. And then from there, go go do good studies. Go read R.C. Sproul's Holiness of God with a group of people yeah. and get that concept going. Right. It, it seems like the church is just not aware of how much it needs to repent. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. And and. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because, it, and even if you start there, we think it's legalism. We think it's judgmental. Right. We think it's harsh. And so, even the even just think of how, how often do you hear of repentance in our circles. I, so there's a lot going on. Um, and I and I think going back to honestly the basics, you take what, who's the the old football coach that show up the first day every year and just say this is a football. The the guy up in Green Bay who is the famous Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi. The first yeah, day, yeah, guys, yeah. this is a football. Everybody there knows yeah, it's a football. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's it's almost like if we could just go in, guys, this is a cross. This is Jesus. Repent and believe, yeah. and, and hold up that football, yeah. and then and then you're like, okay, how do we build on that? That's and so right. the the foundation's missing. Um, and we can get there. The thing is not to be pessimistic and be gloomy. Uh, the reality of it is because uh, I'm saying people do have the spirit. They just need some direction. They right. need some encouragement. And I actually steal something from Jordan Peterson. I remember him saying, a lot of these young men don't need to be like basically torn into. What they need is encouragement. And being on campus and when a young man comes up to me and says something, uh, nine out of ten times, he just needs to be encouraged. Right. Okay, you're right. doing good yeah. work. Yeah. Continue this direction. And it's like, okay, that's, that's what I got to do. So that's, that's kind of, I think, where we're at and what we need to do. We don't need to be alarmed, but we don't need to uh, start throwing haymakers. Um, but we do need to have a steady consistency of maturity of a godly man preaching the gospel and laying out the basics. And right. as, people will ask questions, and then from there you can build on it. Uh, so those would be the two things. Pastors begin to preach. Young men seek other young men out. Who are, and you're going to find – what you'll do is – what you'll be amazed at is other people want to talk about this stuff and yeah. develop it. Yeah, so. That's right. That's right. Well, that's, that's really good. Keith, any last word on this? Uh, not, not really. Uh, have patience. You know, we're going to disagree on Romans 13 with other people. Uh, yeah. you know, even, you know, Phil Johnson's been on the show. We disagree yep. with some of what Phil's thinking and MacArthur thinking. Yep. Um, and so even as Romans 14, uh, there is a little element here of people's conscience. So be patient with one another, uh, strive to love one another and, uh, you know, watch yourself on Twitter. I, 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 about once a month, I get an email from somebody telling me to watch myself on Twitter. So, so, uh, so be watch wise. Yourself. Check yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so be wise. Uh, and yeah, so that'd be the basic thing. How do you love people in this yeah. and realizing that you have a bunch of people come from different things who have not been disciple, have not been well taught. You might be light years ahead of them with the knowledge you have. Um, so don't, right. don't club them, but bring be humble along. because yeah. God's light here is ahead of you. On the knowledge he has <laughs> uh, over you. Yeah. And anything you have, you receive from the Lord. Amen. It's not because That's you're right. smarter. It's not That's because right. you read more. Yeah. It's not because you're more intense. Yeah. Anything you have has been given to you. Uh, That's therefore right. be gracious, long suffering and all that sort of stuff I, with other people. I've long thought that Gary DeMar's, um, God and government book should be like a church reading requirement for any member or anybody that wants to become a member of a church. Uh -huh. <laughs> read God and government. Yeah. You know. uh -huh. get, get a hold of yeah. uh, even even if, if if that's too much, start with what does the Westminster Confession say regarding the civil magistrates? Start there. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, right, and, right. and so we, we have yeah, and then well, build. actually we got God and government in our club portal too. So yeah. we got like uh, I think it's uh, nine episodes, about ten minutes each. It's and a so great place definitely to start. subscribe. Yeah. And if you subscribe yeah. by September the first, you'll get is a hundred bucks off. Of, yeah, 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 
yeah, yeah. So That's if you right. subscribe uh, by September the first, you will uh, get a hundred dollars off of the Fight the, the, the Feast Feast conference. conference. Was October first through the third in Nashville, it. Tennessee, and Got it's it. going to be great. I mean, yeah. genuinely, like I, I'm not a I'm not a salesman. Naturally, yeah. a salesman. Uh, I'm always hesitant, um, but I would just say this is this is going to be a really good conference. And even last year's Grace Agenda, and we're still having Grace Agenda in August. It's right? in August. Yep, okay, that's correct. That's, last year's Grace fifteenth, August fourteenth, fifteenth, August fourteenth and fifteenth. Um, but last year's Grace Agenda, one of my favorite things is when we all met at that bar singing yep. hymns. We're and doing it like, again, and we're doing it again. We're doing it again. In, in Nash- we'll do it this year. We're in doing Nashville. a little fight, laugh, feast, cross politic meet and greet here in Grace Agenda. Okay, and then in uh, Nashville, we'll be doing something similar. Yeah, and it, honestly, it's worth the trip to Nashville simply for that. So yeah. even I don't know how it works with paying getting people there, but even if you're in Nashville. Invite everybody to the sing if I'm allowed to do that. I don't know if I'm breaking no, rules. Don't no. don't do, don't invite everybody. Don't invite everybody. But here's the thing: if you're in Nashville, but here's the thing: if you're in Nashville, come to it because what yeah. you'll discover is this is great. Yeah. All of us sitting here singing yeah. hymns, hymns and psalms, hymns and, yeah. and psalms. Yeah, psalms in a in a bar even yep. like was just phenomenal. Yeah. And I think it would be a, the sort of thing that like we can replicate. That this yeah. isn't that hard. That's you know what right. I mean? So. Even just seeing it done. So like, we're actually kicking the conference off on Thursday night with beer and psalms. Okay, perfect. It's like, you get there, it's uh-huh. beer and psalms, fellowship and, time. And once you go to that, you're going to try to tell everybody to come join Friday, Saturday right. for the rest of the That's conference. Right. So definitely definitely right. come to that. Yeah. All right. Hey, you guys, thanks for putting up with the uh, the sound problems here. Make sure you guys uh, share that. Well, I don't even share the show anymore because the sound was that bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, we hopefully we got it fixed and figured out for next time. Tomorrow we're going to be live streaming tomorrow, 10 a.m., with the former vice president libertarian candidate, uh, Larry Sharp. So we kind of got this little interesting uh, uh, libertarian coming on. So we're excited to have them. Make sure you guys join the club. Make sure you guys see, uh, register for the conference. And make sure you download our app. And we'll see you tomorrow back here, 10 a.m. Pacific time. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Next, until next time. Is that peace. what Knox says? Yeah, peace. <laughs> go fight, laugh, and feast. I, 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 go I fight, laugh, and feast. Go I fight, need David. All right. This is Cross Politics. Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Do you believe that you need an insurance company, or do you believe that God will provide your needs? And there are people that you've never met before who are going to pray for you and meet your needs. There's another way. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org.